I'm glad to see you here today. You know, after seeing uh, those songs and, and thinking about how good God is to us, it makes me realize this morning, uh, not just because we live in this country or because we are so uh, fortunate to have the things that we have, but moreover than that, because we know and experience the love of God, we have so much to give other people. We have so much to give other people. And that's something we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in two different places for our key scriptures today. Uh, we're going to start in 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. And then we're going to move to Matthew 25. So, 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar, for whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen." And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And then to Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Our third value is the value of to give, that Jesus changes the way we respond to others. Jesus saw people and he loved them in a dynamic and passionate way, no matter who they were, no matter where they were. He responded to what, they, to what he saw. We want our eyes to be open so that we can love people in the same way. And when we look at these two verses, there are some things that should strike us. Number one, as people of God, we should be people that love others. When? All the time that we love other people. It, it's, a, it's a hallmark of who we are. And, and the writer goes so far as to say, whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. That's pretty rough. It's pretty rough. But what is the point that the writer is trying to make? If you have known and experienced the love of God in Jesus then you will love other people, period. But what? No. But if this... Uh, but they did... Uh, you will love other people. And it's what's so great about that, the, the section of the parable that we read is that these people 
had loved other people. They had lived their lives giving out food and clothing and help and aid and support to all these people. And when they're standing in front of, of, of Jesus there, when they're standing there and Jesus is separating people, he said, you did all of these things for me. And their response, again, I just love, which is basically, we didn't do this for you. Why did they do it? Because they loved other people. But get this. Because they loved other people, they were most like God. They were most like God. And then when it comes to the end, he says, you are mine. Come home. Because you loved other people. You saw what was happening around you. You saw the hungry. You saw those who needed clothing. You saw all these different needs. And you didn't just close your eyes. Your hearts were moved. You loved them. You took care of them. You are my children. We love. And we give. And we give... Not because we have to. We give because we love and because we know love. We have experienced the love of God in Jesus. And we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. Uh, there's a couple things that I want to that I want to mention to you before uh, we we dive right in this morning. The first thing is I want to thank everyone who came last Sunday night to our prayer meeting and dinner, and in particular I want to thank uh, Vera and Sigrid because they did a great job of helping put all the food together. Uh, but it was a great time to come together to pray uh, and to just share with each other. And if if you weren't here and you missed it, and you want to know what you missed, we have uh, some of the materials and things that we covered and went over uh, that might give you an opportunity to have a conversation with someone or, you know, talk in your home about uh, some of the things that you've been hearing from from God during this time. So uh, it really was great. I, I am so appreciative, church, of your willingness to come together and pray. And I know that sounds like a weird thing to say because we all know, oh, of course, that's what we're supposed to do. But it's that's not a given. That's not a given that we would come together uh, and pray and spend that time together. So I, I want you to know that I am that I'm grateful for that. Um, and I, I was also going to say something about Lorena, but she's not in the room at this second. So I'll, I'll just wait until uh, until she comes back. Um, So, you may be uh, unaware of this. Uh, Maybe you live in some sort of hole or cave. Perhaps you don't have any smart devices. Um, But our country is a little bit divided right now about, I don't know, everything. Everything might be fair to say that we are divided about just about everything. Uh, So, I don't know. This is probably news to you. You haven't heard about this, but uh, I'm extremely well-read and so I'll just tell you a little bit about what's going on. Um, but one of the sort of one of the ideas that keeps coming up over and over again, no matter what the issue is, um, is the question of what rights do people have? 
There, this is kind of an underlying question that, that keeps coming up. And so we're going to talk about that for a second. What rights do people have? But we're going to, we're going to start from, from the macro level. We're going to back way, 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 way up. Okay? And, and just look down on it from, from way up here. And the question that I want you to help me answer right now is, uh, by the way, I'm going to tell you when, it, when I want you to answer, and I'm going to tell you when I don't want you to answer. Because we start talking about this, and it's like, you know, things happen. Things happen. Uh, so from this really high level, what do you think are rights that everyone, no matter who they are, where they're from, if they are just a human being, what rights do people have? Life. Okay, they should be able to live their life. But, but what does that mean? <laughs> we've got life, we've got liberty. Okay. <laughs> Justice, truth. All right, so there, there's probably, you know, there are a lot of things that we could probably uh, throw out there this morning, but the, the foundational one in terms of what everybody should get or should have probably starts uh, with the idea of life. And, and I think what we mean when we say life is, and correct me if I'm wrong, we mean that not everybody should get the life they want, but that everyone should get to live their life. And someone shouldn't take that life from them. Okay, we're going to store that for a second because Lorena just walked back in the room. You don't know what it's like when people call the church office and I answer the phone. The disappointment in their voices, the clear, I didn't want to talk to you tone. And then they will ask, this, is, this has literally happened. Can I speak to Lorena, please? Lorene is not here right now. Oh. <laughs> and then it goes quiet. And then I kind of, well, what am I supposed to say? Well, is there something I can do for you? I really wanted to talk to Lorena. <laughs> like, well, Lorena, Lorena's not here. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that happens to me uh, on a regular basis. And I have had the pleasure of, of working with Lorena in, in two different time periods, and one of the great joys of, of working with Lorena is getting to describe to other people what Lorena is like who have never met her. Um, she's the only one in our office that squeals with delight <laughs> about anything, about anything. It, it happens on a regular basis. I have sometimes described Lorena as a Disney character where birds and butterflies and small forest animals are following her around. Um, but uh, Lorena, Lorena is uh, part of, she's part of the heart of this place. And uh, she is the longest attending member of our church. Um, she's killed off everyone else. <laughs> she's killed off everyone else. <laughs> so let me tell you something. If she invites you to the tea shop, just be careful. Just be careful. Um, but within, within our office, within our staff here, uh, Lorena is very much the heart of, of what we do. 
and um, I'm going to miss her in the office terribly. And um, she knows that I'm going to find her and hunt her down if I need some sort of uh, Lorena fix. Okay. So we can agree then, going back to, uh, to where we were, we can agree then that everyone should have uh, the ability to live their life, to have life and not have someone take life from them. Okay. Are there any other basic rights that we believe all people, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, that they should have? Remember, we're looking from way up here. What's that? Freedom to worship. Freedom to worship. Well, this is, this is what, remember, we're talking about the most basic elements. Okay? So, I mean, that is an ideal. That is an ideal. Someone else. What's that? Water or food or basic needs being met. That's a good one. Virgil? Okay, so Virgil just said, um, because we are made in God's image, that people should respect one another um, simply because they are. Okay, good. I, 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 like, where we're, I like where we're going with this. Um, so life, um, the, abil- the, the ability to have the basic things that help you live life, food, water, shelter, um, some sort of uh, respect between acknowledgement that, you know, you are a person. Um, and, and so there are other things we could kick around, but let's just, let's just acknowledge that no one would deny, I think, for the most part, that any person, no matter who they are, has some sort of basic right to life. Um, they should be able to live. Now, if we zoom in a little bit, things get more tricky. And uh, so this is the part where I do not want you to respond. <laughs> this is where I do not want you to... If you, if you have something you have to say, write it down on an attendance card and then throw that attendance card away when church is over. <laughs> All right? That was a good one. So... <laughs> Now, when we start to zoom in, uh, the idea of what rights people have becomes more tricky. And I'm going to give you a secret this morning. The reason why people's rights become more tricky when you zoom in is because sometimes the rights that people have or claim to have infringe on the rights that other people believe they have. And when people's rights start to clash, what happens? There is disagreement. There is anger. There is fighting. Let me just give you an example. Again, I don't care what you think about it. (laughs) There is a question that has been brewing in our country. Who has the rights to health care? Now, some would say that everyone has the right to health care in this country because people should be taken care of. And what are we going to say? Like someone should just die on the street because they don't have this or they don't have that. Now, Others would say that only those who are citizens of our country should get health care. After all, we pay for it. And if they're not citizens and not contributing to the system, then why should they get what we pay for? 
That's not what this country is about. Still others would say that if you cannot afford to pay for health insurance that, um, and the cost of health care, that you shouldn't get any help in paying for health insurance uh, because then again, others will have to pay more so that you can get the help you need so that you can have health insurance. And this is really more your problem and not my problem. And by the way, these arguments are also applied to welfare, food stamps, subsidized housing, anything where people perceive they are going to have to pay more so that someone who has less can receive more than they have. Now, on the surface, how do we approach one of this kind of an issue? Well, there's a lot of ways we can approach it. And there's so many different arguments and there's so many different points that people can make about this. So listen, don't get riled up. Everybody calm down. It's not a lesson about what the government does or what you think people should have. Okay? But what do you notice about this issue? At its core, no one is going to say, well, that person doesn't deserve to live, but I do. Very rarely does that come out. Because that's one of those things that we're not supposed to say. Even if it's what we think. But what happens when someone's rights start to infringe on our rights? What happens when someone getting something costs us something? How then do we respond? For example, just a more simple one. We believe that people should have freedom of speech until they do what? Say something that you don't like or that infringes upon you in some way. Do we believe in the idea of freedom of speech? Yes. Do we believe in the idea of freedom to worship? Yes. However, in practice, it's a lot more difficult, isn't it? Because at their core, different religions disagree with one another. And they also all believe that they themselves are right. So... Everyone should get to believe what they want to believe. But you're stupid if you believe this. And don't you come knocking on my door if you believe this. It's complicated when we talk about what kind of rights people have. What they should have. Now I want you to take a moment to reflect just for a second. What are the rights that are most important to you? Just think about that for a second. Now, we have seen the early church struggle to establish its identity. And uh, we've been sort of tracking this through both uh, the stories that are told in Acts and through the writings that, that are written back to these churches uh, as the apostles were going out and spreading the gospel. So here's, here's some of the things that we know. The gospel was going out and being taught. And people's lives were being changed by hearing that, that God loves them so much, that Jesus died for them, that through his resurrection they have life with him. And on top of that, the Holy Spirit was empowering these new Christians to make a difference in the world. And so these new communities are forming all over the place in all these different territories, places that were close to where Jesus was and places that were far away from where Jesus was. But there were some complications in starting these new places. I mean, 
First of all, they were figuring out and discovering for the first time what it meant to live like Jesus and not like the people around them. I mean, imagine it sort of this way. You've never heard the message or teachings of Jesus. You are in Rome or you are, you know, somewhere far away from Jerusalem and all these places where Jesus happened, right? And so you're hearing about Jesus for the first time and you hear that he's the son of God and you decide to believe it and then you're told you need to model your life after Jesus. Do you know what that means? Probably not. And if Paul gets run out of town, how are you going to learn it? Well, that's that's tough, right? And and so they were they were literally figuring this out, what it meant to live like Jesus and not like the people around them. And we've seen examples of churches doing that well and churches doing that not so great. Uh, the learning curve was really steep at times because Jesus called those who would follow him to lead very different lives than those who did not follow them. And they're figuring this out as they go. We saw the church in Corinth struggle with this, right? They were not being they were not being Christians, they were being Corinthians. And so they were going to church. Well, they were not going to church. They were going to people's homes and celebrating Jesus together. But then they were doing all the same things they would do otherwise in their lives, in those homes, in all those places, and there was nothing that was really changed about them. We've also seen that even if a community got everything, a lot of things right, they still struggled with the complexity of the ideas about Jesus. We saw that in Thessalonians, right? And that church, people had heard from them for miles and miles around. They were an example of what it was to follow Jesus. And yet, they were confused about the second coming of Jesus. And, and, and have we missed it? And what about the people that, that, have, that have died? And, and what about all these different things? So Paul writes back to them, you can trust in the hope that you have. You can trust that God is doing these things. So what's the point? The point is that it is hard to live in community. And I've told you this before. But it is hard to live in community, and it is especially hard to be a community that is modeled after Jesus. And our communities struggle in almost every way, shape, or form. Families, churches, cities, states, countries, the PTA... Sports teams, we struggle with community. We struggle with being unified into one thing. We struggle with all of these different things. What is then, what's the problem? What's the issue? What's the issue? Why is community so hard for us? And here's what I think. I think community is so hard because everyone believes that they have certain rights. We all believe that we should be treated a certain way by everyone else. We all have varying degrees of sensitivity to things that are said or done to us or to someone sitting next to us or to the room as a whole. We all believe that we should be respected. But whatever that level of respect is, it is extremely subjective based on the person and what they think they deserve. Some of us believe we deserve more respect than others. And some of us demand more respect than others. We may choose 
to give something up for someone else, but you better believe that it has to be our choice and they better ask nicely. They better ask nicely. But the thing is that a community that is brought together by Jesus, that models itself after Jesus, is a different kind of community altogether. It's a different kind of community altogether. It's a community that is more loving, accepting, kind, and graceful to those within and without. It's a place where people are constantly growing and maturing in their relationships with God. We belong because Jesus changes the way we understand what it means to be a family. We grow because Jesus changes the way we see ourselves. That we never arrive, we are always on the way. But then thirdly, a community modeled after Jesus does something that other kinds of communities may try to do. But they won't do it in quite the same way that the community of Jesus does. And that is this. The community of Jesus Christ, the people in it, the community as a whole, will give of itself sacrificially. It will give sacrificially. There is no room for discussion about whether this is true or not. I'm going to let you know that right now. There is no room for discussion over whether or not we are to give sacrificially. But the key question that we dance around when this issue comes up is this. Well, how, how much do I need to sacrifice? And what does sacrifice look like? And what should it feel like? And what about these other things that happen if I sacrifice? Does that sound true? Does that resonate a little bit? Now, the too easy answer is that the sacrificial uh, nature that, that we have... That, I'm sorry, let me back that up because that sentence does not make sense. The too easy answer about should we be sacrificial and why is the community of Jesus sacrificial is too easy. It's just the answer is right there in front of us, right? Because why? Well... Jesus gave up his life for us. Jesus literally sacrificed himself for us. He died so that we might live. And this is really good news for we who are receiving his grace. But then when we move it on to we are to live like Jesus, what is the core principle of what Jesus did? He sacrificed and it gets sort of difficult to enact this principle in our treatment of others. Because if the principle is, well, Jesus sacrificed his life for us, and we carry that over and we say, so we are supposed to sacrifice our lives for others, that is, that is such a big idea. Like, so, so what does that mean? Like, I haven't had the opportunity to take a bullet for anyone recently. Does that mean I'm not being like Jesus? And we take this sometimes really literally. We read it as if it's saying we should die for someone. But the underlying principle behind Jesus sacrificing is actually way more, way more complex than just him being willing to die for us. If you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2. And we read this chapter 
this section of scripture pretty often when we talk about Jesus. But there's a few things I want us to note here because it's important to our discussion. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. So we're sacrificial people because Jesus sacrificed himself and gave up his life. But there's more. Because listen to these words. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what do you see Paul describing to this church here in Philippi about Jesus? What is he saying about Jesus to them? What he's saying is it's more complex than just that Jesus died for you. Because here's the thing that Jesus did. The way that passage ends, the way that God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I want you to understand something. That was true. All those things were things that Jesus deserved from the very beginning of this passage. Because he was in very nature, what? God. Which means that there was nothing, there was nothing above him. He was with God. He was one with God. He was in very nature God, but he made a really crazy choice. He decided not to hold on to what he deserved. To his rights. Instead, what did he do? He gave up his rights. And then he did something that makes us uncomfortable. He became less than what he was. Why? For the sake of others. So not only did he give up what he could have had, he chose to be less for our sake and then... He allowed himself to do what? To die. Which means this. Did death have any power over Jesus? No. As God, death has no power. He is eternal. But what did he choose to do? He chose to give up his right to not die so that he could die so that by dying... He could raise again so that he would defeat death forever for who? For everyone else. For everyone else. Jesus allowed the people on the world he helped create speak badly about him, try to kill him, lie about him, mock him, beat him, treat him like trash, and ultimately kill him in the worst way the world knew how to kill someone. He chose to do that. He chose to do that. Why? Because he wanted to save those awful, unworthy people. He wanted to show them the love of God. And he wanted them 
to have eternal life with God. And so he gave up his rights so that they might have these things. And the Bible tells us he did it with joy. With joy. He went gladly with great love in his heart. So here's a core principle about a community trying to live like Jesus. We have to value others more than ourselves. We have to value others more than ourselves. How much do we have to value others more than ourselves? Quite a bit. And how many times do we have to value others more than ourselves? Well, all the time. And how much cost do we have to take on in order to put others more over ourselves as much as it takes? Now, this tells us something, though, about how we sometimes approach these kinds of issues. We look at this and say, we're supposed to value others more than ourselves, and we're supposed to be sacrificial givers, so how much do I have to do that? We want to know, right, how do I make that happen? When can I say yes? When can I say no? What should I do? But the Bible is very clear about this. We do it all the time. We give as much as it takes. And we do it, get this, in all circumstances. In all things, we are called to value other people more than we value ourselves. And listen, this is about as Jesus-y as you can get right here. And it extends way farther than we may be comfortable with it going. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. So these are Jesus' words as he's, he's teaching uh, about so many things here in the Sermon on the Mount. But Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus has this way of just slapping you in the face. Yep. Just, just letting you have it. And he lets us have it here in this passage. But I don't want you to miss I don't want you to miss what the core idea is here. Jesus says the people of God do not need to insist on their rights to fair treatment, to justice, 
to things being this very tricky word, which we love, fair. Instead, the people of God should be characterized by humility, selflessness, and giving more. Giving more. More than what, Bryce? More. More than what's asked for. More than what's needed. More. More. More, more. That's a great definition of that. I know you're with me, and it really kind of fleshed that out. But he, he gives us these examples so that we can help understand it. And in the first, um, the first example is, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And so he is asking us to forego our sense of justice and instead allow ourselves to be violated a second time. Now this goes against how many instincts? Pretty much all of them. But I want you to understand something. There's something here that that I think Jesus is trying to say to us. This person walked up to you, and what is the thing that they did? They insisted on their right to hit you for whatever reason it was. And guess what you are going to choose? To not take your right to hit them back. You're not going to do that. And the second, when someone demands something from you, you not only give them what they ask for, you give them more. They ask for your shirt, give them your coat as well. They force you to go one mile, you go two miles. Now, what is unique about these ideas? (laughs) The answer is everything, you crazy kids. The answer is everything. Everything is unique about these ideas because they go against every instinct that we have. It's weird and it doesn't feel right. If someone does something wrong to us, we feel perfectly justified in doing something wrong back to them or at the very least, filing charges of assault against them so that we will get justice over the person who slapped us. Furthermore, it's one thing if someone comes up and asks for us really nicely for something, but if someone comes up and demands something for us from us, mm, no, thank you. Try again next time. That's not how this works. What's the magic word? Right? We are not into that. We are not into giving from people who demand something from us. And and yet he he says. We are to give more. And the idea of, of, of giving in to this demand and then also giving more than you're even asked to give, that idea is ludicrous to us. But Jesus tells us this, and this is hard. When you are part of Jesus' community, you do not follow your instincts. You tell your instincts to stop it. Because what are your instincts? What, what is the purpose of your instincts? It is to preserve who? You. And what were Jesus' instincts? To preserve others. Our instincts say, I have to protect myself. Jesus' instincts, heart, mind, actions, all said, I must help others. So we need to not listen to ourselves when these things happen. Instead, we are called 
to act like Jesus, to be unselfish, to be humble, and to be willing to suffer the right or to suffer the loss of our own personal rights. He says, look, you've, you've heard people say, you've heard people say to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Look, there's people in this world that you just don't like and you don't have to like them. People have used that about me probably more than once. There are people that you don't have to like and, and in fact, you know, just be with the people that, that lift you up, that make you happy, that do all these good things for you. But that is not what Jesus says. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he points two things out that I want you to hear loud and clear. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. When you love everyone, what does that show? That you are children of God. And he says, you know, God lets everyone experience the sun. God lets everyone get the rain. You can do the same. If God, who is the one who is being so mistreated, can do these things for you, for these people, then you can do it too. And by the way, you're walking around all proud of yourself because you love people who love you. Slow clap. Congratulations for loving people who love you. Let me tell you something. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. So way to go. You're like everyone. But if you're willing to love people who don't love you, love them. Not like, "Mm, I love you but don't like you and I'll never talk to you again. Because that's not really... That's not really love. It's not. But to love them, then that is what makes you different, you see. It's what makes you different. Is that you are going to love someone even if they are your enemy. You're going to love even the most difficult and hard to love people. Because you are not called to be like everyone else. You are called to be like a singular person, son of God, who is calling you to something that is different. Now, we see the early church apply these principles in some really interesting ways. Uh, From Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. This is one of the passages that we always look at uh, when we talk about the early church. Uh, so this is right after the Holy Spirit has, has come on the day of Pentecost. Uh, it's a pretty exciting time. So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, it's a fascinating passage because it it brings us in a little bit to this environment where um, the energy and the excitement that was generated by the coming of the Holy Spirit was just things were happening. And this community is growing and it's growing so fast and there's all this energy. But what is interesting is this. 
What do they do? What do they do? Well, Bryce, they met together, they ate, they did all these things. Oh, yes, they did those things. And they praised God daily for all of it. But they also did something else. What did they do? Now, here's something interesting. They did not sell all of their property and all of their possessions. It doesn't say that. But it does say what? They sold property and possessions. Why? Because within their community, there were people who had a lot and there were people who had nothing. There were people who had a lot and there were people who had nothing. So when we look at this, we read this passage and we think, okay, so does that mean that I have to give up everything for other people? Do I have to sell my house? Do I have to sell my whatever? And most often the conclusion we come to is, no, we don't have to sell everything and give it all away because then you know how we live and that's not how God called us to do and we're supposed to take care of our children and blah, da, 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 da. We have all these reasons why we rationalize around this question. But when we ask that question, again, about what should we do and am I, am I supposed to do this, we're asking the wrong question. The more important question is, why did they do this? And there are a couple of things we can infer. They were a new community drawn together by God and the Holy Spirit. There was great unity amongst them. They were together in this thing, coming together to believe Jesus. They met daily and they shared meals. And within the community, as we said, some had all their needs met while others did not. And here's what happened. Those who had all their needs met did what? Don't jump to the conclusion. What had to happen first? They saw that there were people whose needs were not being met. And then what happened? Their heart was moved for those people. And then what happened? Then they went back and sold things so that they could bring all that back to this community and help these people whose needs were not being met so that they could have what they needed. I imagine, and this is my imagination, that's why I said imagine, that it did not feel right within this community for there to be such inequity, particularly when they were reveling in all that God had done for them through Jesus. And so therefore, when they came together, united by Jesus, celebrating God, they, their natural response was to get rid of all that they could so that everyone could live this life together. Was it hard for them? We don't know. Did they struggle with it? Maybe. But we do know they did it. And we know they did it for the community and we know that they rejoiced and praised God for everything that was happening. You don't see this reflected in every community. In fact, the church in Corinth didn't have the same level of regard for one another. Remember, they were eating all the communion and getting drunk before everybody could even get there. But this group of people, drawn together by Jesus, saw the needs of those around them, they, res- they loved them and they responded and they gave everything they could so that those people's needs might be met. So, we are supposed to give. And we are supposed to give sacrificially. We are to give with joy. We do it because this is how Jesus lived. He saw needs, he loved the person, he responded. But there is even more to it than that. I know, how can there be more? Well, the Bible has a lot of words in it. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
starting in verse 6. This is our last, our last thought here for this morning. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is this passage about? It's about giving. Giving to what? It's not about giving to what? It's about who we are when we give. And there are some things that we need to notice here. Number one, don't give because you have to. Oh, I guess I'll throw something in there today. Don't give because you have to. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. But then this is the part that really, we approach giving in terms of how much do I have to give? How much can I afford to give? What is it, what's it going to mean if I give more than that? And, and what does Paul tell this church in Corinth? Would you stop worrying about how much you're giving? Stop it. Give. Do you know where you got this stuff from? From God. Do you know what God wants you to do? Be a giver. And so therefore, if you got all this from God in the first place and God wants you to be a giver, when you start giving, what will God do? He's going to make sure that you can keep giving. He's going to make sure that you can keep giving. And there are reasons for this. When you are giving, you are showing that you are a child of God. And you're increasing the love and unity within the community when you give to one another. And the people outside of your community are starting to praise God for you also. Because you're giving so much. And people see you and they're like, who are these crazy givers? They're followers of Jesus. Who gave how much? Everything. Who did not insist on his rights. Who did not insist on what he could have. But instead gave everything. God is a generous, loving, and sacrificial God. 
And I wonder sometimes because I, you know, I talk to people and their idea of God is that God is stingy, that he takes and doesn't give. And this passage in particular makes me wonder how they came across that idea. Do you know where I think they got it from? Christians who were stingy, who asked for things and who did not give. And that is the opposite of who God is. And this has come across in a couple of these scriptures now. People learn about God through what we do, through how we act, through what we say, through how we treat them. People learn about God through us. And if we belong to this loving, generous, giving God, then guess what we better be? Loving, giving, generous people. Because when we're not, we show that we don't know God. But when we are, when we are, we introduce people to the God who is willing to give everything that we might have life. That we might have life. What's the hardest thing coming out of this? I think the hardest thing for us is going to be not the giving, but the willingness to give up what we think we deserve. How we think we should be treated. What we think we should get. The hardest thing for us is going to be to give up our rights. All the rights we've made up for ourselves. But we can't value others over ourselves if we're not willing to give up our rights. Because our rights claim us over them. Our instincts claim us over them. Until we learn to ignore those things, those voices, we won't be able to put others before ourselves. Because putting others over ourselves means that their needs are more important than ours. Their needs are more important than ours. And we are moved by that. And we give joyfully. You know why? Because we are helping someone who doesn't have. And we're reminded that God loves us (laughs) in a way that is so full and generous and good. And that by doing this, people are going to experience the love of God. Because you know what? They probably have nowhere else to go. And you, as a representative of Jesus, are stepping into that gap. And maybe by knowing you and the gift that you give to them, they'll come to know God and Jesus, the ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice. And they'll come to understand that God loves them and has given everything for them And by encountering Jesus, then maybe, just maybe, their lives from wherever they are will change. How important is the give value? Pretty, pretty darn important, right? But it has to spring from the love of God within our hearts, from the knowledge of Him as a giver. And it has to come in a way that shows love and care 
that is sacrificial, that doesn't put us in as a story, but makes Jesus the story. That is what the community of Jesus should look like. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for everything that you have given us. God, we confess that we are people of plans and budgets, of car payments and mortgages and credit cards. We are constantly managing all those things. But you call us to be generous people. You call us to give and you call us to give sacrificially. You call us to put the needs of others before ourselves, God. So I pray this morning, Father, that you would help us to ignore our instincts that say we have to take care of ourselves first and be willing to step out into that place of faith that says, God, you have given us all things. As we give to others, you will give us what we need because you have shown yourself, Father, to be faithful over and over and over again to us. Father, may we love people around us. May we take joy in giving and in introducing them to you. And may we be those who show that God is not greedy, stingy, or holds back, but that God is generous and loving in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have any needs uh, this morning, you need any prayer or encouragement, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.